And our reading from God's Word today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 9 and finishing at verse 20. And that's on page 1148 um, in your pew Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in, a, in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Thank you very much, James. Thank you, Dawn. And it's brilliant to see you. My name's Jeremy. And can I give you a very, very warm welcome here to Trinity Church, Islington. Great to see you here. Well, let's pray as we begin, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 6 together. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, this issue of um, sex and our bodies is so difficult, but so important. And I pray that we would understand your truth and your love. I, I pray that we'd see the clarity of your words, your written truth, and the grace that comes to us from the cross where Jesus died. And so we pray that you would challenge us and change us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and by your Spirit who lives in us. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, let me read to you from a letter that I received. It's, it's not from anyone here at Trinity, but it makes quite hard reading. This is what someone wrote to me. You'll see it up on the screen. I know from experience that it is quite possible, uh, quite impossible, to remain pure when you date someone whose heart is not longing for Jesus. I made someone my ultimate joy for a time and so fell into sin. I wish I could take it back. I feel ashamed whenever I think about it. I've confessed my sin to God, but I guess I still have a lot to deal with. I don't know if that resonates with you. 
It's a sad letter to read, isn't it? The person involved found some help, praise God. Um, but I mention that letter firstly because the Corinthian church was no strangers to, to people who'd taken wrong steps in, in sexual relationships. Um, there were plenty there who had a difficult past when it came to their sexuality. You might remember that um, that it's the church that Paul had planted five years previously in the sort of Las Vegas or the sort of Amsterdam of, of its day to Corinthianize in the first century meant to sleep around. That was the sort of slang for, for being promiscuous. There was a red light district in Corinth sponsored by the local temple. And um, there are 50 words um, in ancient Greek that mean prostitutes. And it was considered quite cool. We found out in chapter five to be in a sexual relationship with your mother-in-law. That was what was happening there. And, and probably just like Trinity Church Islington, uh, the Corinthian church was a, a church full of young people in a sexually liberal city. And, and in other words, this letter was written to a church full of sinners, just like you and me. But I mentioned that, that letter on the screen as well because Paul has been talking about a, a subversive but very radical answer to sin, uh, the hidden but, but now made known message of, of the cross of Jesus Christ, the, the cross which unites you, chapter 1, the cross which makes you wise, chapter 2, the cross on which the church is built, the cross that undercuts all of your pride, chapters 3 and 4, and then the cross, chapters 5 and 6, that changes your identity, changes the way you see yourself. And that's what lies at the heart of chapter 6, what it looks like when a sinner has his or her identity changed by being washed and sanctified and justified. And particularly in two areas, the areas where Christians, in my experience, are most likely to go wrong. Um, firstly, when Christians feel personally offended by someone at church, that's verses one to eight. And then secondly, when they're struggling to contain their sexuality, and that's in verses 11 to 20. And so Paul talks about a change in identity. Um, it, it, it's the very thing that that person who, who wrote that letter and all of us like them need to hear. And it's the thing that we're going to look at under three headings that pick up on the three commands that Paul's written in verses 9 to 20 of chapter 6. The first one's this. Don't be deceived. Your body matters to God. Don't be deceived, your body matters to God. Can you see the, the command up at the top of page 1148? Do you have these Bibles open? It'd be a massive help to me. Page 1148, verse 9, do not be deceived. Literally, keep making sure that you're not being led astray. Keep making sure. Keep assessing your own heart because we can just as easily lose it as a Christian at my age as you can in your 20s. Because all those things in, in verses 9 and 10 keep coming back at you. And, and if you give in to them persistently and unrepentantly, they'll lead you away from heaven. And, and in actual fact, uh, you'll have heard as Dawn was reading, Paul quotes some of the things that the Corinthians themselves have been saying. And you'll see that in, in verse 12. Have a look down at that. Verse 12, they've been saying, I have the right to do anything. Uh, but Paul says, yes, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is going to be good for you. 
Christian freedom has to go alongside Christian wisdom. Um, I'm free to smoke 80 a day as a Christian, but in the end it's going to harm me. Don't be deceived, says Paul. Um, But I have the right to do anything, say the Corinthians in the second half of verse 12. But Paul answers, I will not be mastered by anything. I don't want to give the controls of my life to anyone else or anything else except God. Christian freedom isn't with the purpose of you being controlled by something else. Um, So looking at porn is is so addictive that it will control your behavior in the end. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Or getting deeper still in, in verse 13, the Corinthians are saying, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. And, and, and they're using that as a sort of slogan, but what they mean by it is this. If I'm hungry, I'll have a pizza. If I'm turned on, I'll have sex. What's the harm in that? What, what's the difficulty? Going, going with a prostitute is like going for, a, going for a snack in the cafe. That's their theory. But, says Paul, the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord's and the Lord for the body. So, so Paul says, okay, yeah, well, the, the body is meant for fees. Um, I mean, Christians are always serving food, aren't they? Have you noticed that? It just seems to happen all the time at Felicity and James's this lunchtime, I think. Um, uh, the food on the back, you know, in, in, in that corner, homemade cakes, um, food at the newcomer's drinks, superior snacks, in fact, um, at the newcomer's drinks after the service. And there's food at Sean's later on. Christians are always giving each other fees. Food is a good thing, and our bodies are made for feeds. Paul agrees about that, but he doesn't agree about sex. It's a, it's a false comparison that the Corinthians are making. You, your stomach is meant for foods. I know, I've, seen, I've done a gastroscopy. I know what's inside your stomach. But your body is not meant for sexual immorality. That's not its purpose. It's meant for the Lord. Verse 13, have a look at your body. That body is made for the Lord. That's what it's there for. And it's made to be raised again in verse 14. You know, however you feel about your body right now, and I know that a lot of us have very mixed feelings about our body. Some of us have quite a fractured relationship with our body. I know that's right. We have all kinds of struggles. However you feel about the body that's right in front of you right now, God has big plans for it. Verse 14. By his incredible power, God raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, and your body is made to be raised again. Isn't that fantastic? So our culture says, bodies don't matter, use and abuse them however you want. God says, I've got great plans for your body, your body matters to me, so don't be deceived. That's God's way of thinking. And and, and once Paul's explained that to us, then he can take it in two directions uh, with two separate commands. And and the first one of those comes in verses 15 to 18. Have a look down at that. This is the next section. Flee from sexual immorality. You're a part of Christ's body. Flee from sexual immorality. You're a part of Christ's body. That's who you are if you're a Christian here this afternoon. Paul starts the question in verse 15. Do you not know? He's, he asked that question six times in total. 
in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, but it's, it's not a factual thing. I mean, my teachers used to say that to me all the time. Jeremy, do you not know that the restoration of King Charles happened in 1660? I didn't have a clue. I had to look it up this afternoon, actually, just to make sure that that, that was actually, actually true. But Paul isn't talking about a factual thing, but an identity thing. He keeps coming back to it, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That's one of the most wonderful things about becoming a Christian. One of the most wonderful things. Who I am changes. It feels like such a small thing, doesn't it? Um, I, I, I don't know when you became a Christian, if you're a Christian here this afternoon. It feels like such a small thing. I remember being in a field on the Isle of Wight. I was with a guy called Roland Smith. And I said, um, yes, yes, please, Lord. Um, can you forgive me? And um, I, I, I want to follow you. And then I think I sort of opened my eyes and I said to him, did it work? Because it, it just seems like such a small thing. But at that moment, actually, God joins you to Jesus. My body becomes part of his body. I never have to be alone again. He is with me wherever I go. Isn't that an amazing thing? And what's more, the way that I see sexual relationships changes. It just changes. That's the, that's the quote from Genesis 2, uh, which Paul uses in, in verse 16. Have a look down at that, verse 16. He quotes Genesis 2, for it is said the two will become one flesh. Footnote Genesis 2, you see that there? You know, but before... Um, I saw sexual relationships as, as just something my body did. It could be with anyone. It was just what well, one of my friends put it to me like this. They said, Jeremy, I don't know why you Christians get so hung up about sex. It's, it's just a rearrangement of body parts. That's what they said. I mean, I replied that, I mean, murder is just a rearrangement of body parts, and that has plenty of ethical consequences. But I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that we got into the best conversation at that point. But the way that we see sex changes, you know, before we might think it was just a rearrangement of body parts, just a swipe right, it's just friends with benefits. It, it, it felt good, and then it's over. But, but when I become a Christian, then I begin to recognize what I sort of knew deep down all along, that sex joins two people physically and emotionally and spiritually in something called heterosexual marriage. That's, that's what it does. Using it in any other way, verse 18, is a kind of self-harm. Can you see that? It's a kind of self-harm. It's sinning against your body. If, and, and if I'm joined to Jesus, why would I want to take him into that? That's the question, Paul Sosky. Um, I mean, imagine this for a minute. Um, there's often a, a sex scandal somewhere in the Sunday papers. Um, I know that David Beckham's been back in the news recently about his potential relationship with Rebecca Lees. There's always a scandal, isn't there, somewhere in the paper. How would you feel if the headline read something like this? Jesus found sleeping with a prostitute. Or um, Jesus' search history reveals porn habit. Or Jesus regularly took my clothes off, says ex-girlfriend. You know, if, if I've been joined to Jesus then Jesus is with me where, wherever I go. Isn't that going to involve a change of thinking? Flee, says Paul. 
Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. In fact, just while we're thinking about that, it might be worth going back to that list in verses 9 and 10. Because that also starts with sexual immorality. Can you see that? That means any sort of anything that turns you on outside of marriage. It's a very general term. But it goes on to talk about idolaters and adulterers and men who have sex with men and thieves and greedy people and drunkards and slanderers and swindlers. You know, there, there are so many ways that we can get involved in sin. In fact, all of us are sinners. Every single one of us here, men and women, single and married, gay or straight, church members or church leaders in our relationship with sex and money, alcohol, possessions, the things we worship. That should come as no surprise to us at all. All of us have sinned in the past and struggle against sin in the present. Uh, and you'll notice from that list that, that same-sex sexual relationships are just one way that we can turn against God. It's not the big standout sin. Of, of, of course it can be forgiven. In fact, Paul assumes that his church is made up of people who have been in, in, in gay sexual relationships, doesn't he? He assumes that. Um, consenting sexual relationships between two men were a regular part of, of Greek culture, just like in ours. But to keep one of those going when you become a Christian is not right. And that's particularly difficult. It's going to be particularly challenging for someone who's same-sex attracted and who's made the costly decision to decide they won't be in a physical relationship, maybe for the rest of their lives. I'm very aware of that. And I know there's some same-sex attracted people here at church. Um, let me just say very briefly, you can ask about this later on if you want. Let me just say that I am heartbroken that the Church of England has stopped supporting you this week in your decision to follow God. That is a very grievous thing. Very grievous. Let me say you're not alone. There are people in, in this church and there are people all over London who are taking this part of the Bible seriously. And I hope that they and we will support you. And just let me add that same-sex attracted people are incredibly welcome here at Trinity, both as members and as leaders. And we want to honor you for the decision that you've made. Because we're all to flee from sexual That's the command. We're not to ask ourselves, how close can I go? I mean, it's very tempting to ask that, isn't it? How close can I go? Is it okay to go on holiday with my boyfriend or girlfriend as long as we don't sleep in the same bed? No, flee. Flee from sexual immorality. And you'll see a picture on the screen of a, of a bull. I was chased down a hillside by this bull. I was lying in that hammock, actually, at the end, which you can see um, on, the, on the Isles of Scilly. And I looked up and I saw the bull charging down the hill towards me and I ran into the sea. And at, at no point did I ask myself, how close to that bull can I go? That was not an issue for me. I fled. We don't want to rely on the rules. You know, I was told when I was a te teenager, don't touch what you haven't got. You know, you're... Um, 
Why to take a cold shower when necessary? Uh, to install porn blockers on your laptop, that might not be a bad thing. But the rules alone won't change our identity. It's God who changes our identity. He helps us see who we really are. You know, when you're, when you're tempted, when you're on a work conference with a colleague, when you're on the sofa with your girl or boyfriend, when it's late and you're in front of your laptop and you're a bit tired, go back to what you remember from 1 Corinthians 6. Teach yourself. The battleground is, is the mind, isn't it? That's the battleground. This isn't what I was made for. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take Jesus with me into this situation. This, this is what I used to be like, but I'm not like that anymore. You see how Paul's telling us the negatives? Flee from anything that, that turns you on outside of marriage. But he tells us the positives too. And that comes in verses 19 to 20. This is our final point. Glorify God in your body. You're a home for the Holy Spirit. Do you not know? Paul starts the same way again. Do you notice that? But he's making a different point. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is your owner-occupier. Isn't that a great thing? You know what it's like trying to get a property in Islington. I was talking to someone on Friday lunchtime who's uh, been struggling to do that. You get together all of your savings, and, and then you contact your mortgage company, and you take things right up to the limit, and then you go down to Foxton's or Islington Green or somewhere like that, and you realize that you're going to have to go way over your budget if you're going to be able to afford something even tiny. Well, verse 19, the, the Spirit is looking for somewhere to live, but the price tag seems extortionate. Because, because God made me and I belong to him, but then I, I turned my back on him and I walked away and he decided to buy me back. How much am I worth? I am very, very, very expensive. And so are you, if you're a Christian. This house cost me the death, cost God the death of his son when Jesus died on the cross. That was the price that God paid so that my body could be somewhere where the Spirit lives. If, if you're not yet a Christian, you need to know that. I don't know if you're looking at Christianity and, and you're not entirely sure. When you turn to Jesus, then you realize that you are very, very precious. It's a wonderful thing about, being become, about becoming a Christian. You admit for the first time, I think, how valuable you actually are. You were bought at a price, verse 20. So honor God with your bodies. God thinks that there are ways that we can honor him with our bodies. Just like we honored Justin uh, with a gift last week. It was his 21st birthday. Can you believe that? No, I can't either. I feel about 25. I mean, how does that make sense? We, we honored him with, with a gift because it was his birthday. We've got people staying next week. And we'll keep the house as clean as possible because we want to we honor them. They're our guests. They're coming to stay with us. So in ourselves, we want to be pure so that our bodies are a brilliant place for the Spirit to live. Don't you think? Glorify God in your body. You're a home for the Holy Spirit. Just as we finish, though, perhaps you're thinking something like this. Jeremy, it's all well and good for you, but you've no idea 
how far I've gone. Um, like the person who wrote that letter at the start, I've still got a lot to deal with, they write. I've got memories I wish I didn't. I'm damaged goods. Maybe you feel like that. We'll come back as we finish to verse 11. It's what Paul writes. And this is what some of you were. The church is made up of people like you and me. God knew that it was a sinner's body that he was making a part of his son's body. He was aware of that. But verse 11, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You've been washed like a, you know, like a, like a hot bath after a long-haul flight. You know how good that feels? God sees you as clean. You've been sanctified. God, God put you to one side and he's saying, I'm going to keep you there because you belong to me. You're special. And you've been justified. In the only courtroom that matters, you've already been acquitted. You've been told you're not guilty. Your body has been bought. And God saw the full surveyor's report. He knows your body's done all kinds of things wrong and will carry on doing so, but he thinks it's worth buying at great cost to himself. Please do ask questions. I know it's a a part of our life that's important to us, rightly. And I know that we might have all kinds of questions that we want to ask. Um, the Slido page is open if you want to have a look at that and put a question on there. You might want to talk to someone you trust if you're in a small group. You might want to talk to your small group leader if it would help to talk to someone. But please, when you're struggling this week, when you're struggling this week, hold on to these three commands. Don't be deceived. Flee from sexual immorality. Glorify God in your body because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. God knows what he's doing. And he wants to change our identity so that our sexuality brings him the glory he deserves. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, that you bought us at great cost to yourself, at the cost of your son. Uh, thank you that he's ransomed us. And so we can say, because of him, because of the way in which we're joined to him, we can say for definite uh, that we've been washed clean. Our past has been washed away, that we have been sanctified, that we're made holy. We're set apart for you, for your special use, uh, and that we're justified you've declared us to be totally guilt-free and so i pray father we'd live out that identity in our day-to-day -day lives please father when we're struggling with something we're looking at or something that we're feeling uh, maybe a way in which we feel hard done by uh, maybe uh, we're uh, aware that we're getting involved in a relationship that we shouldn't be i pray father that you'd remind us of who we are and so we'd flee away from sexual immorality and flee towards you. And we ask these things in your name.